Zeros. I am Josh Buckhalter. Give me a follow on Twitter at Josh G. Buck. Hit up the Facebook page, Triple Zeros. Hit up the website, jukesjumpers.wordpress.com. And the email address is triple zeros, no ease at gmail.com. That's triple zeros, no ease at gmail.com. The big game, Super Bowl Sunday. If you weren't watching it, I don't know what else you were doing. I'm not sure that there was much else that was worth doing, but watching that game. And I think we were treated to a very good game. And it was one, you know, not to toot my own horn, but you know, when people say that, that usually means exactly what it means right now is that they're about to toot their own horn. That game went exactly as I had predicted. And I'm not claiming to be anything special with that because they, the Chiefs were obviously the favorite. But that went as predictable as I think it could go with the 49ers jumping out to that early lead and then struggling to maintain it. And one of the big reasons why I think that I was kind of keen to that, the game playing out that way was because of how I saw the offenses like the built like San Francisco play throughout the postseason. I told you on the last episode, we saw it with uh, Tennessee how Kansas City kind of just exposed them. Tennessee was able to frustrate the the offense of Kansas City for a couple, a little, a few drives for some of the game, but they can't get them for the entire game. When Patrick Mahomes, when the game gets on his shoulders, he just elevates the level of that team offensively, and you saw that again. They were roughing him up. He was running for his life the whole night, sacked four times. He still finished the night, 286 yards, two touchdowns. He did throw two picks, but he also ran for 29 yards and had a touchdown, and he won the MVP. It was a performance that, in the beginning, when the game was initially over, I was like, man, Damian Williams should have gotten the MVP. I still have some sentiments that he might have gotten a little gypped on there. He did have 104 yards on the ground and a touchdown on 17 carries. He also had 29 receiving yards on four carries and a touchdown, that that questionable touchdown that I still think was one because whether or not you, you want to say he stepped out of bounds, if anything, he stepped out of bounds and the ball broke the front of the plane of the end zone simultaneously. But on top of that, it's too close to make the call. Once they call it a touchdown on the field, you kind of have to let that stand with the, with the camera angle. Now, that being said, there was some trepidation on my behalf saying, I, I don't know, I feel like Williams kind of got robbed. Looking at Mahomes' stat line does look better than he was for most of the game. But then you think about what he had to do to probably get there because it was ugly for him. <laughs> for Like I said, he was running for a lot of that. Nick Bolson, those boys were getting after him pretty good. Knocked him around for four sacks. But... When the Chiefs needed the offense from him, when they needed him to make plays, he did that. They, he had that run where he broke out of a sack, looked like he was going down for sure, and and slid. And I think that kind of just – it was kind of like the one against Tennessee where he broke for the touchdown. You just kind of saw him take over, and then a couple plays later, they hit Tyreek Hill deep down the field, and then you had the pass interference at the one-yard line, and that brought them to within three points after that score, and you just knew. Once they got that touchdown, that pass, that deep pass to Tyreek Hill, I remember saying out loud, oh, that's it, because <laughs> they, they found it. They found that that gap that they were looking for. If you recall, last episode, I was talking about how the RPO offense of the Chiefs is going to expose that zone defense that the, the Niners like to run. And for a good chunk of that game, they were doing a good job of keeping the lid on, that is San Francisco. But there's just too many weapons in the Kansas City offense. We saw Tyreek Hill. They were trying to force him the ball. He got 16 targets in this game. He ended up with nine catches, 105 yards. But Sammy Watkins also was able to get off five catches, 98 yards. And he really had a couple of big plays against Richard Sherman. We'll talk about him in a moment. But it's just such a diverse offense that Travis Kelsey, the stud tight end, ended up with six catches, 43 yards. But he did have a very critical touchdown. So I'm not going to knock him completely. But it wasn't the dominant performance that I think some of us including myself, thought we would see between he and Kittle coming into this game. And Kittle also had a pretty pedestrian stat line. But 
maintain the focus on the, the Chiefs right now. There was just a lot to like about this offense coming in and just you can stop. You can get to Mahomes, you can get the pressure on him, but eventually he's going to be able to break away because the defensive line is going to get tired too. And with all those weapons, somebody's going to be open. And he found a, a guy open time and time again, especially as the game wore on and the Chiefs defense or the 49ers defense, excuse me, had to keep chasing after him. It was clearly a, a tough, tough game for them. Like I said, Nick Bosa was a stud in this game. He had two, he had a sack, but per pro football reference, or I'm sorry, pro football focus, he had 30% pressure rate. No one else in the game had greater than 20%. His teammate now, Princeton, Princeton Buckner, I always want to call him Princeton Buckner. DeForest Buckner had a sack and a half. And I just think that, first of all, Nick Bosa is a stud defensive lineman. Let me not take anything away from him. But I think we kind of undersell the importance of the rest of that of that defensive line, too, with three other first-round picks in D. Ford and Eric Armstead and Buckner right next to Nick Bosa. So it's not like he was by himself. And again, they were getting pressure the entire night. But I think what you saw from, again, that Kansas City offense, it was like I told you in the last last week, when it comes down to it, when they're from when they're having to rally from behind, you have to put it on Patrick Mahomes. That's what they're built to do. They're built to have to get points in bunches really quickly and make up the gap. And that's why they kind of have trouble with sustaining an offense. You saw the running game was actually much better once they were trailing. <laughs> so I think that's it's a, it's an odd dynamic. And you kind of saw that as a person who here in Chicago got to witness the Bears, which is an offshoot of that offense there. When the passing game is going, this this offense, this this scheme is built to throw to set up the run. And you saw that with the Chiefs. Once they got away from trying to be a run first or even trying to be a balanced team, really, and let it be on Holmes' shoulders, he threw 42 passes in this game. You saw everything else kind of open up for him. You saw him get into the rhythm. He got more comfortable. The offensive line settled in. The, the playmaker started making plays. And it was just one of those performances. Now, the Chiefs' defense stepped up too late in the game. You had Brashad Briggerland and... Kendall Fuller both have an interception apiece, but low key, Chris Jones, defensive tackle Chris Jones had three knockdown passes. I saw on Twitter somebody asked why people were questioning the decision to throw at Chris Jones on one of Garoppolo's passes, and you see it that that's why three passes that he led the team in that stat. Now he's six foot six; he'll be a free agent. We'll see where he ends up, but he probably won't leave Kansas City. I don't know how they let him go. Franchise tag, something he can't leave. But you see the impact that the Kansas City defense was having without necessarily being as highly regarded as the, the, the 49ers defense was. Now, granted, they only got to Garoppolo one time. Garoppolo finished the game 219 yards, one touchdown, two picks, one sack, 69.2 rating. He completed 64% of his passes. But I think you saw once Garoppolo had to be the quarterback, which was the thing that I warned about. And I've been, I know it was kind of just like waiting. This is almost like a, confirmation bias but it really is just what i've seen i've said it before. this was the bears last year garoppolo's probably a step up for mitch because he had a lot he's had extended stretches where he's looked competent but when the game was put on his shoulders it just wasn't there i think that's that was the biggest thing that you kind of drew from that is that no matter how talented that defense was garoppolo was holding them back when they ultimately needed for him to be a playmaker he just couldn't do it now he made some plays when things were even there and the niners offense was able to still be balanced you had Raheem Moser still ended up with 58 yards on 12 carries. You had Tevin Coleman chip in 28 carries on or 28 yards on five carries. Mostert also had a touchdown, but it wasn't the typical explosive 
ground attack that we're used to seeing from San Fran. And I think that was due to once they got that lead, the Chiefs being able to expect the run and kind of loading up to shut it down. Now, granted, once Garoppolo had to pass, like I said, he didn't do a great job at that, but he still they still weren't able to maintain that balance. They still weren't able to get those explosive plays for long enough to be effective. It was almost as if, like I was saying the entire time, once Kansas city got into the, once Kansas city was, it was, was down. That's when they were actually going to be much better and at, at getting some points, generate some points on the board, because there's just nothing you can do to stop that freight train from rolling once it's going downhill. So, that was just one of the things that I, I, I again, not to my own harm, but two, because that's definitely what's about to happen here. The other thing that I noticed was that the 49ers big tight end, their their key player on, on offense, George Kittle, was not very effective either. He, again, like I told you, he had a pedestrian stat line, four catches, 36 yards. And the, his biggest play, oddly, the biggest plays, aside from the touchdown for, for Kelsey, obviously, but the biggest plays for both of these teams were actually penalties from these tight ends. You had uh, Kelsey being drawing an offensive pass interference, but prior to that, George or Kelsey drawing a defensive pass interference, excuse me. Before Prior to that, though, you had K- George Kittle getting an offensive pass interference called him, and you had a lot of people calling it ticky-tack foul. It's a Super Bowl. You don't let that play dictate the floor of the game because it took points. It almost certainly took points off the half, off the board for the 49ers in the, at the end of the first half there. But I think that that was by and large due to the fact that they weren't, that it, most people were reacting to the slow-mo of the footage, of the of the actual penalty. If they saw it in, in fast time, I don't think there's really any way that you can look at that play and see George Kittle stop the guy's momentum and say that that wasn't a, a significant stiff arm. Now, you have people comparing it to the Vikings play that's fine, but again, if you're going to compare it to that, I think you need to understand that it doesn't necessarily mean that it was bad that they learned from their previous mistake and got something right. If that's the case, you know, then we can't really be mad when they finally do those things. You know, we we like to pick and choose when the the referees get things right, but I think in this one, if that was better than the Vikings game, if that was them showing something different than was in the Vikings game, then you can't really say that it was bad because they did what they were supposed to do. They got the call right. Again, a lot of people, I feel, were more reacting to what they saw on the slow-mo than what was actually happening with the in real time. If you saw it in real time, you, you couldn't have had any other issue with it. Aside from that, I think that the most underrated player on the San Francisco 49ers was Debo Samuel. That kid, the rookie, is going to be a stud in this league. He looks like the makings of a number one do-it-all type of receiver. He could stay healthy. He had five catches for 39 yards, but he also had 35 rushing yards. 35. <laughs> he also had 53 rushing yards on three carries. So he ended up a total with eight touches for 92 yards. And he just looked like the most explosive player on the field. They just couldn't get the get him the ball enough, and he couldn't get those big games because. For all the the knocks and flaws of on the Kansas City defense, they definitely were able to maintain a lid that kept the 49ers from breaking any really, really big plays. Now, again, San Francisco had the big lead going to the fourth quarter, the 10-point lead going to the fourth quarter, and they blew it. But it still wasn't a game for all the domination that you saw, because for most of this game, San Francisco was dominating the trenches. 
they were still only up 10 going into the fourth, and that just never felt safe, especially, like I said, when you had to rely on Jimmy. That just seemed to be the end-all, be-all of anything ever going to be going to to going right for them in that regard. I think on top of that, though, when you look at the Kelsey play, it was just one of those nights where everything was going wrong for the 49ers. Now, Kelsey's was blatant. You have to look back at the ball if you're going to be making contact with the receiver. I don't know how anybody could deny that one. I think that one was kind of a reaction to just at that point, people were fed up with the rest making an imprint on the game, but that the guy flew into him and never even attempted to make a head turn to any direction. But, and, and speaking of which, that DB is unfortunate because Traveris Moore had an interception. He had an interception on Patrick Mahomes and was looking like he was going to be one of the heroes of this game, but he ended up getting that costly pass interference to put the ball at the one that got Kansas City within three points. That was a 17, that made it 17 20 at the end of that score and obviously the extra point. He went from being the goat to scapegoat in a blink of an eye. And I just, I, that's a high low. Somebody needs to check on that man. Cause that can't be a good feeling right now. That one, that one was rough to see, but all in all, it was a really, really interesting, entertaining game. Interesting to see it all unfold. Interesting to see it unfold as predictably, as predictably as it, as it did. But again, I'm not shocked at the outcome. I think that Kansas City especially has earned it. They were the better team all season. They were the best team in the NFL once before Mahomes got hurt. We knew it was just a matter of time before they regained their form. Happy for them. Happy for the city. Uh, Salty that it wasn't the Bears, obviously. Salty that uh, Mahomes didn't end up in Chicago. But I I do want to say something about that before I I go into the free agency and go back. I'll touch back on the Bears in a moment. But a lot of times you hear the the, you see the post and I'm guilty of it, too. But they were talking about Bears fans being upset. You know, Mahomes was here and he did the whole one, two, three counting, how the Bears passed on him. I can't sit here and legitimately say that he was the one that many fans in the city were upset the Bears passed on. As great as he's turned out to be, 95% of this city would have missed on him. So anybody saying otherwise can pretty much stuff it because they're full of it. Mahomes was an anomaly. The doubts that followed many quarterbacks, Graham Harrell, and many of those quarterbacks coming out of the Texas Tech air raid system had those kind of, and I know it's a different coaching staff. I'm, I'm well aware of that. I'm just saying you still have that same stigma attached to that to that school, that program. There were legitimate questions, and I don't, I, I, listen, I'm just saying, that's not the guy that I'm going to sit there and be upset about them not landing because there was probably no chance they were going to land him anyway because they, they, that just wasn't the, or that wasn't anyone that I knew of that wasn't their line of thinking. It was Watson and then whatever else. But again, I digress. Just wanted to get that out there because you see a lot of those interesting comparisons being made. Moving going into other NFL news though. Free agency is about to get heated up real quickly. You know, won't, there's no, there's no offseason anymore in the NFL. You have news about or word rumors about Tom Brady. New England is reportedly willing to pay 30 million to retain him. However, it has been rumored that the Raiders are expected to pursue him if the Patriots and Brady do not reach an agreement. Also, recently, the Chargers have been considered to be legitimately in the mix now. I've been long saying that I would like to see him go to the Raiders. That'd be pretty cool. I think that'd be a nice place for him to end up his career. They would need to surround him with some more weaponry, I think. They have a great offensive line and a really good run game. They need to improve that defense and get him at least one more receiver, I think, and then that would be a good, a, a great spot for him. But I, I like it as, as it is. I've heard the the Buccaneers mixed in as well. I don't like that as much. I think that's where Philip Rivers ends up, honestly. I think that'd be perfect for him. But 
I don't necessarily know about the Chargers. The Chargers would be the Chargers are probably better skill position wise, but they don't necessarily have the uh, nostalgia appeal of it all. Just the, the aesthetic appeal of Brady playing for the Raiders, and it's also just doesn't seem right. I don't know. It doesn't. And I know that's closer to to where Brady is from, but just doesn't seem right. It seems like the perfect ending for him to end up with the Raiders after being a Patriot for so long. And then, of course, you have the Hall of Fame class announced. And you have Edgerin James, Isaac Bruce. You have Edgerin James of the Indianapolis Colts. You have Isaac Bruce of the St. Louis Rams. You have Steve Hutchison of the well of the Minnesota Vikings and the Seattle Seahawks. Steve Atwater of the Denver Broncos and safety Troy Palomalu of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Congratulations to all of them. Of course, we already know that Bill Cower and Jimmy Johnson also made it. It was that's a pretty solid class. I know people had questions about Edwin James and some have questions about Troy Palomalu as well, but I just think that Edwin James had four seasons of 1500 yards and then a couple of more thousand yard seasons with Arizona. He listen, people don't respect the grinded out nature of the running back position anymore. So anybody trying to downplay what Edwin James did is not remembering the era in which he played where running backs weren't getting up all these video game numbers through the air and the on the ground. He was doing a lot of his work, grinding it out with a prolific passer at the helm, so you have to factor in both of those things. And then in Arizona, he was a lot of what they had at the time. I know you had, I believe that was with Carson Palmer on those teams, but it still wasn't much. It was Carson and the young Larry, I and Quan Bowles. They had good teams. That was good. Let me take that back. I take that back. They had good teams there. But he's still, that's still fighting for some touches, and he still was able to produce. Don't sell Ed short. Isaac Bruce, happy to get the, anybody from that, the greatest show on turf into the Hall of Fame. I don't think that that's ever going to be an issue with anybody. Better not be an issue with anybody. Needs to not be an issue if, issue with anybody. That's a, a great thing to always see, in my opinion. And then you have the Steve Hutchinson, one of the greatest guards of my generation that I can remember growing up and seeing. Steve Atwater was a little bit before my time, but Troy Palomalo, I remember him, Ed Reed. Those were the guys that I... In my, in my, I won't say my hated. That sounds really ridiculous. But when I started really understanding the game, those were guys that I started to, to, to pay attention to more and more and how they read plays and reacted to plays and, and kind of handled their business. And then wrapping up the NFL segment, a couple of awards. We're not going to get too deep into stats. We're going to give up my opinions. You know, can't guard Mike. Mike Thomas from the New Orleans Saints won Offensive Player of the Year. I do question Christian McCaffrey not getting it. Um, I know that some people say, well, he was the running back and he was everything for this team. There was all that they had. And my counter argument would be to that. He's the running back and he was all that they had. In other words, the defense knew he was getting the ball and he was still putting up ridiculous numbers. Michael Thomas was getting, he had to get all the passes, but he was getting the force fed from Drew Brees. I mean, listen, I don't want to, I hate, I hate doing this because it always ends up with you knocking one of the people, but I just feel like Christian McCaffrey, what he was doing this year, was insane and then coach of the year you had Jim Harbaugh winning it I kind of feel like Kyle Shanahan you know the guy who coached in the Super Bowl yesterday should have won I know Harbaugh he Harbaugh had the MVP his team had the most pro bowls and that deserves recognition for the coach but the 49ers literally picked number two last year they picked second overall and this year they played for the Super Bowl now now granted that probably had something to do with how they got there. You know, the schedules, how they work out and things of that nature. But nonetheless, the 49ers were in the Super Bowl. I just felt like Harbaugh would get, you could have even given it to, I think, Sean McDermott of the Buffalo Bills, Mike Vrabel. I would have been, I don't know. It's not a knock on Harbaugh. They had a very talented team, but I, I feel like a lot of the offensive 
explosion that we saw this year from the Ravens. Morning wig, Greg Roman. And then with the deep, you have 12 Pro Bowlers. He didn't, I, again, this is the same thing. Feel like you're knocking somebody and you're really not. You're really just trying to feel, I'm just trying to promote this other person that I think might have been a little bit more deserving for more or less obvious reasons. And then rookie of the year went to Kyler Murray. Josh Jacobs had a legitimate shot, but I've been saying for months, I think that when you're a quarterback and you play the whole year like Kyler did and you do what he did first rookie to have 3,000 yards air and 500 yard ground, something along those lines, quarterback position, he's going to get it. There's no way that, I mean, you know, hopefully this allows Jacobs to keep that shoulder on the chip on the shoulder that he's had for the longest of time. So, you know, you just let that be what that is. But I don't think that anybody should really be upset about this one. This is not the one that that is really upsetting to me. I think the one that's upsetting is probably the offensive player of the year. When you're running back and you're the only thing that the team has, that should kind of go a long way to you being, you know, that guy. The the you should be recognized for that. So that's my only gripe. Again, Shanahan, Harbaugh, I would pick a bone with that one, but I'm not really caring. Then the Jacobs and Murray, I've been expecting that one. So that's not really a surprise in any way, shape, or form. That's going to do it for this episode. This episode. That's going to do it for this segment. Oh, no, it's not. Bears. Got to talk about the Bears. Coming out in Last Word on Pro Football tomorrow. Last Word on Pro Football tomorrow. The Chicago Bears retool will finish up. Not really finish up. We're going to go into the next phase where we start scouting for the talent. But talking about the secondary and the status of the secondary as of right now, we know that the Bears recently signed CFL former Calgary Stampeders cornerback Trey Roberson to a two-year contract. Some say that that's signifying the move, the departure of Prince of Mukamara. We'll see. Talk about that in the article a little bit and how both he and Kyle Fuller had down years this year. But again, if one of them is going to be going, it's going to be, if anyone's going, it's going to be likely Mukamara. I'll guarantee you're going to see Haha Clinton Dix elsewhere next year. Not a great fit. It wasn't a horrible fit, but it's not a great fit for the Bears. And he's earned himself some more money than what he's going to get anywhere in Chicago. So that's, that is what it is. I think that, uh, the Bears are grateful. There was a little bit of back and forth about how Allen Robinson was openly lobbying for Eric Berry to join the Bears next year. And people were talking about how Ha was hurt and he was a fan. Listen, Ha Ha, you have to know you earn more money than, than what you're going to get here in Chicago. And you need to be playing the role that you played here, which was actually supposed to be Eddie Jackson's role. And let me just say this. After seeing the two of them play on the field together, I have a greater appreciation for what Adrian Amos brought last year 2018 in the strong safety role next to eddie jackson let me just put it that way because i saw a lot of that in eddie jackson this year and i saw a lot of people dogging him for what he wasn't doing when i was like man eddie's been pretty good at tackling you know he's got he's got a he's got a tendency to not be great in space and i think he did better with taking better angles this year and not letting the play get behind him so that was just one of the things that I noticed, but I saw a lot of, he's not making the turnovers, he's not getting the big plays, and, you know, turnovers are fluky, man. That's just how it goes. The Roberson thing, though, is definitely interesting. I think that Amukamara was a steadying force, but I think that he has lost a step to the point where it's it's feast or famine with him now, where he gets you some good plays, but he's also going to get beat some, and it seems like his when he gets beat, it's at some of the most critical of moments, and you just can't have it. And also, the Bears have to replenish the, the depth there anyway. He's already at 30 years old. They're going to have limited funds that could use some of that money, especially if they use a draft pick on that position. And we'll, I'll talk about that probably next episode where I think they're going to start slotting the positions in, in terms of need. And that'll obviously be shaped more as the offense goes on, but early on where I think they'll go with it. But 
the Roberson thing is, is definitely one to keep an eye on. I did have to say in the article, there is a Mia Coppola of sorts. You know, I do the, I do kind of give my, had to keep it honest when I, when I was wrong about a player or a situation, I had to own up to it. And the one that was for the Bears is Buster Screen. I was staunchly against his signing. I thought he would be beaten out by rookie Duke Shelley in the slot. And Screen actually had the best of the three corners, the three primary cornerbacks between he, Screen, Fuller, and Amukamara. Screen had the best season statistically of them all. And kudos to him because I just did not think it was going to happen. Now, maybe that's because they were picking on the outside guys. Who knows? Um, but he definitely had a better season than I thought he would have. So I had to put that in there. That is in going to be out tomorrow on Last Word on Pro Football. Now, the other thing about the Bears is this talk about the quarterback stuff. Now, I kind of touched on the last episode. I want to touch on a little bit here again. I want to say it in no uncertain terms. They do not need to go and get an Alex Smith, an Andy Dalton, a Marcus Mariota. That's who they're going to end up with. I already know this. But it's going to lead them to nowheresville. I think that what you saw in the Super Bowl, and I talked about how I wrote about it, actually, how the San Francisco 49ers winning the NFC Championship game helped Ryan Pace's motive of building around a limited quarterback and building with a run game and defense. Well, you got that 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 thought process got exposed and fed to the wolves on Sunday. And we saw that you really need that quarterback to be the difference maker. Now, how aggressive Pace is. That's hard to tell. He said that he's going to stick by Mitchell Trubisky, but he also said there won't be roster changes or they weren't ready to make any decisions on st- uh, staff and roster and then immediately fired the, the coaching staff, offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, uh, not quarterbacks coach, they, offensive line coach. They promoted the quarterbacks coach and then hired another one. So you got to kind of wait and see what he does. I think that you keep, they're not getting rid of Trubisky. So don't, that's, that's gone out of the, out of the wayside. But I think whoever they bring in is going to clearly determine what their thought process is. If they spend any kind of money on this position, Trubisky's done. And he's there simply as a backup and hopefully they'll, or maybe to try to flip to some team and think they can fix him for some draft pick or whatever they can get. I firmly believe that that's probably, that's the best way to go about it. I know you're going to hear a lot of, that's crazy. You can't go back into the well and start throwing around money. You need to try to write it out when you're going to have some more free cash and get closer to being able to get out of the Mac deal, which I got to touch on that too. But I think that if you wait, to try to move on from Trubisky, who I do not think has the potential to be a, a franchise quarterback, you're going to end up hindering and, and costing yourself the best years of this defense, which, again, is, a, is in my opinion, Super Bowl caliber for whatever that's worth, because if you're not in there, you can't really be Super Bowl caliber, whatever. This is a great defense, and they're going to waste it on a quarterback who is severely limited, who's still trying to master reading coverages. I think that that tells you all you need to know, and that should tell Ryan Pace all he needs to know. If he If he's trying to get out here, if he's trying to get a Super Bowl, like they say, then he needs to he needs to make sure that he gets out and gets a real quarterback behind that that to run his offense, to run Matt Nagy's offense. Get get let Matt Nagy discuss it this time because part of the problem is he didn't let John Fox in on the discussion because there might have been a Deshaun Fox a Deshaun Watson sighting <laughs> at Soldier Field if he'd have talked to Watson. He didn't though, so I just wanna I just want them to. Be proactive and not reactive because they're tied to this or that and the other. I think if you're tied to them now, I do want to make it clear. There's a good chance that he can't make any more moves because he's going into this basically as a lame duck season. So if that's the case, so be it. But I think that that's not the case. I think that if he gets to spend any money, 
And I guess that's telling that he didn't get the speed. We'll see. We have to, it's so early in the process. There's a lot of speculation right now, especially on my part. But I just think that waiting to be proactive on Trubisky, moving on from Trubisky is going to be a hindrance. If he is the Alex Smith that they think that he can be, which is why, you know, the connections to wanting to bring him in, the Matt Nagy thing and all that stuff, that means he won't be good here anyway. So just cut out the middleman, get to it right now, and move on. Just a thought. Now, on that Khalil Mack subject and his contract being the worst and how they spent a lot. It was an awful lot, but I think it's an, it was it's a horrible trade in, in hindsight, and it probably was bad in, in, in at the time. But I don't I don't see how I don't see how it's a bad trade if their line of thinking was correct. And we can't revisionist history is always perfect. It's always correct. You're always right in hindsight. So in the moment, and remember, Trubisky was the number one quarterback on a lot of lists. So let's not let's not let's not go there. Despite what a lot of people want to say, including myself, a lot of the so-called experts out there had him at the top of their quarterback list. But I think that when you, if he would if he would have been a success, that wouldn't have been an issue. So it was a go all in move. They just they got a big chunk of it wrong, and they're still paying for it to this day. And again, you just can't afford to waste it anytime. So long story short, get uh, be on the lookout for that article. And last word on pro football tomorrow at some time. I'm going to take a quick break. And when I come back, I'm going to talk about some NBA news, including the Chicago Bulls and how things are just getting from bad to worse on the Madhouse. I'm in the Madhouse. I'm not back in And I am your host, Josh Buckhalter. Follow me on Twitter at Josh G. Buck. Hit up the Facebook page, Triple Zeros. Hit up the website, jukesjumps.wordpress.com. And the email address is triple zeros, no ease, at gmail.com. Switching gears to the NBA, man. <sighs> Listen, there's a lot going on. Trade season is is heating up, and you have a lot of speculation. You have the All-Star game right around the corner, and you have some floundering, floundering teams. Yes, Bulls, I am looking at you and the pitiful things that you are doing on the basketball floor these days. But... First and foremost, I want to talk about Kyrie Irving. Hurts his knee. He's going to be he's going to be out for some time. I think Kyrie. They need to find an excuse for Kyrie to stay the rest of the year, and wait for Kevin Durant to come back so that he because this is get your body healthy. Don't try to go out there proving anything to anybody because you feel like you have to show them that you're a leader. Just come back next year and go ahead and be Robin. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm being dead serious. Just let it be because this is getting to be to a point where I think that. You know, for all intents and purposes, Kyrie is hurting himself long term. He's already talked about he might not play that long anyway. And just the injuries, injuries pile up, especially soft tissue injuries like that on a guy who's already had plenty of them in his career. The longer that he keeps doing this to himself, the worse it's going to end up being. And I just don't want to see that for him. Don't want to see that for the Nets. Again, if you know, if you've been listening and I hope you have, again, hit that subscribe button, hit that like button. Greatly appreciate it. But if you've been following along, you know that I am a big fan of what the Nets are attempting to make in Brooklyn, trying to elevate themselves from being the second city. It does have a little bit of the feel of the Lob City Clippers where they're going to be all hype and not really a ceiling there. But I think that if it does work out, it has. I think it has the, the, the potential to be something spectacular that we just, we just really don't. The, the, the city of... The borough has never seen that the, the the franchise needs. I think it'd be great. I'm just a big fan of it. I think the, the, I wanted the Bulls to model themselves something along those lines. They've been messing that up. We'll get to them in a moment. But Kyrie Urban, man, 
just get get healthy. Get healthy. Wait for KD because right now, brother, it ain't happening. You're looking worse, and people are dogging you. And I I I, I don't know how else to tell you to handle it. Just not looking good. So I mean, I, that's that's so basic, such a basic argument for it. But just and they won. They win when he's not playing. That's the worst part about it. But he's a great player. I told you, he's not a bad man. He's better than Robin. He's a Nightwing. But I just think that when you see those guys go out there and try to be Batman, you often end up getting those empty results. He's good as a complimentary piece. He needs to be that. He can't be the focal point. That's what things fall apart. And that's why you see teams that are without him improve. It's not that they they improve because he's not there. It's that they improve because he's no longer the focal point. That's all it is. That's as simple as that. Anything else is kind of ridiculous. I think people try to overanalyze, make themselves feel smarter than they, you know, than they really are about the subject or to not just really try to downplay somebody's impact on what they really can do. Kyrie is very capable. So I'm, I'm not here. I'm not going to ever take any Kyrie slander, but he definitely is not a alpha on a play on the team. He's, he's a, a beta player. That's a, no disrespect. He's Scotty. He can be a great Scotty, but he's a Scotty. The other news, man, Damian Lillard over his past six games, the man's averaging 48 points, seven rebounds, 10 assists and going straight up bananas. I don't know how else to put it. It started off with a 61 point game against the Warriors on the 20th of January. And just most recently, Dame dropped 51 on Utah. The man is, is on fire right now. I can't even argue with it. I was dogging them and I still think they have a lot of issues on that team. It's mostly injuries though and everybody else, but Dame is doing everything he can to elevate this team and get them back on track to the playoffs because we know that they were Western Conference Finals last year, struggling this year. They need it. They need it right now more than ever, and Dame is showing that he at least was worth the contract, and there's no sort of chemistry issue. They just need some more houses on that team, and I'm not sure if they're going to be able to get them, what they're going to do to get them, but Dame is killing. 48, 10, and 7? My goodness. It's Dame time. And he, I hope he keeps it up. I don't know how long it's going to keep it up and how, how or how far it's going to get them, but he killing. Dame is a beast, man. That man is that man is on fire right now. I think one of the things though, I, I still stand on it that between he and CJ, one of them has to go, and it's probably CJ. And you got to get some wing help. You got to diversify the way that the scoring is coming from. If it's all coming from the backcourt, which it is. That's going to be an issue no matter what team. I don't care who you got back there. You got to be able to diversify and come from different levels at multiple at any time in the game. You're just not getting that. You don't get too. You don't get enough. Now they're both terrific scores, but in the playoffs things slow down, and you just need to be able to go at different levels that teams like. And you just don't see that with this team. And they locked in. They're locked in this backcourt. It's going to be a similar fate. I think they were maxed out last year. And I think they're going to end up falling somewhere short this year just because they can knock out any team. That's not to say they're not. They don't have it in them. I just don't see them being able to keep it up for seven games Um, as far as them being able to overcome defensively what the other teams are going to throw at them and then be able to keep up the shooting. You know, shooters go cold. That happens, even the best of them. So I think that that's what's going to hurt them is that because it's the two guys that are going to rely on them for so much, it's going to happen at the worst time, and then there's going to be no one else to help them out. Now, they will get Nurkic back soon. We'll see how that all works out. Maybe they move Whiteside and bring in somebody else. Who knows what how it all takes out with the deadline, deadline coming up, but word is it's going to be a accessory piece, a complimentary piece deadline. 
this year, the trade deadline is as there's not really mark, many marquee names being up for mention. Among the names being mentioned, though, is Derrick Rose, the Detroit Pistons, one of the teams that I told you before the season. I didn't see them being a playoff team again this year, and they are they're selling, looking to move on. Rumor has their time trying to uh, get a deal going for Clint Capella, for Andre Drummond, see how that works out. But Derrick Rose is a name that's been popping up a lot. And aside from wanting to come back to Chicago, there has been talk of him going to LA in exchange for Kyle Kuzma. I'm not sure that's a deal that the Lakers should really do. I think you can get more for Kuz and that's no diss to Derrick Rose. They need Derrick Rose. So maybe that's what facilitates it. That the need outweighs the, whatever unevenness there is, inequality there is in the actual value of the players in a vacuum. Maybe that's how they, they decide to balance it out. But for Rose, I would like to see him have a chance to get a championship. I already told you that my, my pick to come out of the West is the Lakers, but they do need to make a trade. I think it's funny Real quick on the side check from the from the trade notes, we know that the Clippers are in the trade market as well, and they need a couple of things. But primarily, they need a, a real point guard to set things up for them, so the offense doesn't get stagnant. And you have the Lakers who are in need of a wing. Now, the the Lakers have Rajon Rondo, a player who is a really good point guard, but it's kind of limited in shooting department. It's something that the that the Lakers actually need with the limited shooters that they have on that team outside shooting. Meanwhile, the Clippers have a Maurice Harkless, a Mo Harkless who can defend on the wing, can shoot a little bit, really can drive to the rim, and would be able to be another defender on a guy like a Kawhi Leonard. But you know, duh, that ain't never happening. But I just think it's hilarious that the Lakers and the Clippers both have what the other team needs, and you'll never see it happen. It'll never happen. It can't happen. Duh, like it's 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 nonsensical to even think about. But man, tell me that's not the funniest thing in the world. They could both. Rondo for Bo Harkless. I, listen, I know the money probably doesn't add up, but that's that's a need for a need right there, and it would it would make both teams more complete. But you know, nah. Um, just a little side note that I, I found interesting when when going through possible deals today. Other rumors that are out there: the Mavericks have been rumored to be kicking the tires on Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, and Rondé Hollis Jefferson, two defensively mind defensive minded combo forwards with very limited offense i think that's something that uh is going to they're just trying to get some more defense behind around luka Doncic, and of course with chris after who went off tonight kp went off tonight i gotta pull up that stat line but the they're it's clear that they don't need any more offense they're definitely looking for some defense to add to that roster so the timberwolves are looking to get two first rounders for robert covington now listen Covington is a great player, 3 and D guy, multiple position defender, and is just a really steady presence. However, two first rounders? Come on, fam. Now, you might, maybe they're thinking two late first rounders or one mid-level, but I'm not seeing them getting two first rounders, anything solid for it. I, I, that's a lot. That's a steep price. Maybe they're just saying that they really want to keep him, but two? One is a stretch. Two? Mm, I don't know about that one. I don't know about that one. Then you have the Memphis Grizzlies reportedly want a first rounder for Jay Crowder. What? Look, again, maybe you want a late rounder. Maybe that's what they're talking about. But second, a player. You know, you, I don't think you're getting a – some team will probably end up paying it. It'll be, a late, again, a late first rounder. But, man, I just don't I just don't see either one of those players getting ones, especially not two ones or a, a high one for Crowder. Two ones for uh, Covington, a high one for Crowder. You have the Rockets rumored to be looking to get under the luxury tax under the, from edict of owner Tuman Fertitta. Interesting because they have James Harden and Russell Westbrook. 
I saw it on Twitter that somebody said uh, Rockets fans are laughing now, but will they be laughing when Harden when they get knocked out the first round again and James Harden gets traded to the Knicks? You know, that's been speculated for a while. That's where he'll end up. Rockets, listen, man, Daryl Morey messed up a lot with that tweet from China. But even before that, I've been saying Daryl Morey is the Western Conference's version of Danny Ainge. Makes a lot of moves. Does a lot of things that seem really good, but none of them get them over the hump and ends up ultimately being something that has to get blown up. I think we'll see that. I mean, we're clearly heading for that in Houston. They're trying to get under the luxury tax while still fielding a competitive team. Have you seen the West lately? Have you looked towards L.A.? I'm just saying. Maybe don't make the Russell Westbrook deal if you think that you're going to. Listen, sometimes you can't figure these things out. But I do see a similar fate happening to Boston. I know Boston is a popular pick to make the Western, the Eastern Conference Finals. I think that they are hindered by the youth of their superstar. Jason Tatum, I think, will be a superstar. And Jalen Brown is making a case for himself to be at least close to that, a very high-level star player. But I think they're too young to make that that level now. I could be proven wrong. I'm always open to that. But <laughs> they're rumored to be looking into Clint Capella as well. Rockets starting guys at 6'6 six, six and under is wild. But I'm getting sidetracked. I just think that Daryl Morey and, and Danny Ainge are one of the same. Have you ever seen them in the same place? Probably so. Not the point. Same guy. You make a lot of moves, but and they all look really great, but you, they're never the right ones to get them over that hump. We'll see. If I had to pick one or the other, though, I'd probably pick the Celtics because they just seem to be the coach, the system, the overall composition of the roster still seems better, and it's not overly relying on any two guys like the Rocket system is. The New Orleans Pelicans recently got Zion Williamson back. He's played six games, and I was talking about prior to that, Brandon Ingram and his breakout and how he needs to be appreciated. And of course, the big story was how will Ingram react once Zion returns? Because we know he struggled in the past when playing with other dominant stars, other dominant players. Well, first of all, Zion's number since he's come back. Zion is averaging 19.5 points, 8.2 boards, and he is shooting 61% from the floor, 66 from three, and here's the hard part. 53% from the free throw line. You got to get those better because you know where they're going to send you. Now, granted, the people who are trying to send these shots to him are going to end up taking a good bit of damage themselves, but I do think that they will ultimately wind up getting him to the line, and it's going to be a lot of hackazine. He's going to have to work on that and bring that number up. It's odd that he's so low with his free throw numbers being as, or his, his three point numbers being as solid as they are. That's a bit of a surprise because usually they go kind of hand in hand. But the big story here, Brandon Ingram is able to still maintain his numbers. He's not 25. He's at 20 games, 20 points per game, four boards, three assists. Now, that's not terrible because you had to expect him to have some kind of a dump when you have a guy like Zion coming in there. But for him to be able to maintain those numbers, he's still shooting 40% from the floor, 42% from three, and 87% from the free throw line. So he's still having a really good game, a really good season. He's still having a really good impact on this team, and they're just going to be Really solid for a long time, which really hurts my want of the Bulls to go out and chase him and restrict the free agency this year because I don't think there's any way he leaves New Orleans if everything is going to work out the way it looks like it will with him down there in New Orleans. And speaking of the Bulls, we're going to wrap up this episode of Triple Zeros with the Bulls segment. Of course, you can always read my stuff about the Bulls on Pippin Ain't Easy. That's PippinAintEasy.com. Now, the Bulls recently got blown out by the Raptors, 129 to like 102. We're not going to talk about that, okay? It was horrible fourth quarter, second half, really, but the fourth quarter was just awful. The Bulls got blown out down the stretch. And 
at the end of that game, you saw Jim Boylan call a timeout. Now, this is the second one he's called with, like, less than a minute on the clock. But this time, you got a glimpse from the camera of Zach Levine on the bench going, why? Now, maybe it'll come out that that's not what he was talking about. Let's talk about something else. You know, he had, he had, I believe, Lowry sitting next to him. Maybe Lowry said something to him. However, it really looked like he was, he's heard the timeout announcement and said, why? Which was everybody. Jim Boylan is coaching high school out there. He's in the NBA coaching high school. He told you last time when he took that one timeout when that got the, the opposing coach mad. He said, you know, I, I, it doesn't stop me from coaching just because we're at the end of the game. I, I still have to coach these guys up. And then this time he says, I still have to try to develop. That's the other part of my job is development of these players. But you don't see the development and you don't you, like I don't understand. What point are you trying to prove? We get it. You know the basics of coaching, but sir, this is not how you coach in the NBA. Those minute timeouts are not going to make him any friend. I know he's going to give you the cliche. I'm not worried about the outside and how they think of me. I'm worried about this building. You look ridiculous, and this can't be helping the Bulls' reputation across the NBA when you have high school things like this going on. Remember, Boylan's tenure started with him with the military-style push-ups, and they got mocked for that. This is not much better. Despite what he might think or what they might be telling him inside the building, that echo chamber that they have going on in the Birdo Center, this ain't a good look. It's really bad, really sad, and they got to do something about it. They got to fix it. This is this is horrible. He's he's really out here coaching high school basketball in the NBA. Point blank. I'm not saying it's an easy job. I'm not saying he's a bad coach. I just think he's better suited for an assistance position as opposed to running the show. In no uncertain terms. Now, a little bit of good news. Zach Levine will be appearing on All-Star Weekend. However, he will not be appearing in the dunk contest. He says he will be participating in the three-point contest. And I actually like this decision. I get it. Maybe maybe that's a better way to put it. I understand the decision. This is an attempt to take control of his narrative. We know that Zach Levine is an athletic player. We know that he can dunk with the best of them. We know that he's a dunk. He's a two-time champion, I believe. We don't need to see that anymore. I don't really want him to risk the injury from it anymore, if I'm being honest with you. But he's trying to show his skill. I would maybe like to see him as a skills competition. That would have been nice. Show your passing ability. Because I think that while I get the idea behind him doing three-point contests, all this is going to be is him jacking up three-point shots. Fam, you, <laughs> you jacking up shots is not necessarily changing your narrative. So, again, I get him trying to control it and divert it from him just being a dunker in the center third. But... The next one is going to have to be debunking that jacking up empty shots thing. And if I, this is literally an event where you jack up empty shots. So I, I just think that that's something that he's going to have to, <laughs> that's something to keep an eye on. It's an event. We got to jack up empty shots, not changing many narratives. Just saying, I had to point that out. I still look forward to seeing him. hope he wins it because Zach is a good player and this team needs some more weapons around him so that they can fulfill what I think could be. I, I've told you my moves. If I've, my dream scenario was them getting Aaron Gordon and pairing him with auto, a healthy auto porter and Wendell and having a really nasty defense behind Kobe and Zach. Everybody's injured now. Who knows what's going to happen? But I, I, it's 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 not good. It's not a good look when your coach is doing this. It's not a good look when your player's on the sideline, at least in video form, looking like he's questioning what's going on with the timeout calls, coach calling juvenile timeout calls, and all the injuries are racking up again. The Bulls are going to end up in the seventh slot, and it's just all bad. 
it's all bad right now, man. Pray for Bulls fans. If you know a Bulls fan, pray for him because it's not good. Things are rough. Times is hard. <laughs> Times are hard. That is going to do it for this episode of Triple Zeros. Follow me on Twitter at Josh G. Buck. Hit up the Facebook at Triple Zeros. Hit up the YouTube channel and like and subscribe to the videos. Hit up the website, juicyjumpers.wordpress.com. And, of course, the email address is triple zeros at gmail.com. As usual, until the very next time, you know what to do. Triple Zeros.